This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is a Business Radio special presentation. After the blockchain bubble, a look at how the technology works, how it can revolutionize industries, and what the blockchain and cryptocurrency world will look like going forward. Here's your host, Kevin Werbach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After the Blockchain Bubble, our two-hour special here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. As you heard, I'm Kevin Werbach. I'm a professor of legal studies and business ethics here at Wharton, formerly the co-host of the digital show on Business Radio, and more recently author of the new book, The Blockchain and the New Architecture of Trust. And I'm excited to spend the next two hours with you talking about blockchain, cryptocurrencies, distributed ledger technology. Where are we and where are we going? As you probably know, if you followed this world at all, cryptocurrency prices have crashed over the last year. And many blockchain applications haven't fully taken off or matured. So was this all just a bubble? Was it all just a fad? What comes next? I'm thrilled that joining me are not two, not four, not six, but seven experts in blockchain and cryptocurrencies from a variety of perspectives, entrepreneurs, investors, authors, legal scholars, analysts, uh, all talking about uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain, people who've been in this space a long time uh, and are going to help us understand uh, where things are going and what it means for you. I am uh, thrilled to introduce our next guest, Caitlin Long. She's a 22-year veteran of Wall Street who's been active in Bitcoin and blockchain since 2012. Uh, she was uh, chairman and president of an uh, enterprise blockchain startup called uh, Symbiont. Uh, before that, ran Morgan Stanley's pension business. Uh, and more recently, uh, and I think we'll get into this, um, has been uh, active in leading the Wyoming Blockchain Coalition uh, in its efforts that has successfully enacted a number of blockchain and crypto-friendly bills in the state of Wyoming. So, uh, Caitlin, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. And hey, I want to congratulate you on your daughter winning a gold medal over the weekend. I'm so proud of her. I am too. Yes, my daughter qualified for the Junior Olympics in fencing uh, as uh, under 17. So uh, yeah, very thrilled about that. Thank you. Um, so, so you and I go. We were in law school together uh, ages ago, and uh, then you went off to Wall Street. Um, tell us a story about how you got into uh, the the crypto world, and and also what what keeps you in that world as things have evolved. Well, I spotted Bitcoin relatively early on through alternative economic circles. I was working full-time on Wall Street, as you said, um, at the time, and <laughs> had to keep my head down, uh, but gradually felt confident enough to pop up uh, at, when I started to see that it may have real application to my day job in the traditional financial industry. I've evolved away from that, though, um, and it was interesting. I caught the end of your conversation with Tim Swanson. I, I really do believe that a parallel financial system is going to going to evolve here and and it's not going to be changed from within and we can get into examples of that but but uh, I kind of gave up on trying to change the system from within mm -hmm. uh, and am looking at at ways that this technology can actually solve real problems 
using it natively as opposed to trying to plug it into architecture that is just not designed to take this technology. So say a little bit more about that. Well, the thought here is that this technology is so different fundamentally than the traditional centralized databases that are so ubiquitous in the financial industry and all the intermediaries that have been set up in, in the financial industry. And therefore, it really is sort of an either or. And it took me a while to come to that conclusion. I, like so many others, took the path through the, bit, uh, through the so-called blockchain, not Bitcoin um, uh, uh, way of, of navigating throughout the industry. And I do think that there will be blockchain applications that are not Bitcoin that will succeed. Um, but I just was reading an article that came out today about the uh, SEC chairman's statements regarding proxy voting. And there was a quotation from the head of the Council of Institutional Investors talking about deploying blockchain with a new kind of intermediary that would be a gatekeeper for proxy voting. And I thought to myself, gosh, just the words intermediary and gatekeeper are really not not, not, um, accurate when describing this technology. So using the word blockchain is almost more of a marketing tool. Clearly what he had in mind was something better than what we have today, which especially for proxy voting, the bar's pretty low to come up with something better than what we have today. But um, but it's not real blockchain, and, and I think it just gets, that's that's just one of many examples we can point to that that suggests that the incumbent system is going to be way too slow to change and way too resistant to change, and the 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 true blockchain-based solutions are just going to outflank it. They're going to come around from left field and and just come up with something better. One of the aspects that you've written about uh, is the difference between a, an equity-based and a debt-based financial system and, and the, the fact that these crypto assets, because they are native digital and they're, and they're true bearer assets, potentially are, are just a fundamentally different foundation that, that potentially is, is more secure for the financial system. Could you just explain that a little bit and then also the, the concern that the traditional uh, financial actors are now trying to pull that system back into the, uh, the existing debt-based approach? Exactly. And, and actually, that's a really astute question because it does get at the heart of why blockchain is not really easy to plug into the existing system. Everything in the traditional financial world is a debt-based asset. In other words, it's, it's a counterparty asset. There's, a, there's an IOU. There's an issuer behind it. And the mind bender on that is pull, pull a dollar bill out of your wallet if you, if you still carry cash and look at it and, and realize that that's a Federal Reserve note. It's an IOU from a bank called the Federal Reserve, and it's what we use as money. But in history, the concept of debt-based money is relatively new, and, and history shows that, uh, that, that whatever is used as money is, is, is only as, as solid as the foundation upon which it's built. And one of the things I do believe is fundamentally superior about natively blockchain assets is that they are there is no IOU there is no issuer so there's no counterparty risk and it turns out in the traditional system that's a huge issue the fact that it takes us two days to settle a securities trade means that if your broker dealer goes bust in the two days between the time you gave your broker your money and the two days later you receive the securities from them if they go bust you're a general creditor of 
a bankrupt institution and you're not going to get your money back. Those sorts of things are very real, and and that is risk that need not otherwise exist. And in the blockchain-based world, it, it those risks do not exist, and therefore we can have true peer-to-peer transactions taking place without these exogenous risks that are a function of the tech and regulatory debt cruft is a word that the developers <laughs> like to use um, that 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 you know really is a noose around our necks and, and one of the most interesting things i learned this year is that in emerging markets where that have a history of high inflation they don't have really any time in, in, in between settling a securities transaction. And the reason is that inflation inflates away the value of the, of the cash leg of a securities purchase. And therefore, those markets with the history of high inflation have same-day settlement of securities trades. I think at some point, the, the Western world, whose systems are so dependent upon these slow cash and security settlement um, you know, systems are, are, are ultimately going to pay a dear price for that. Well, but why then do, uh, is there so much pressure to pull the, the blockchain technology back into this existing approach? Well, it, it is, it, going back to the uh, article we talked about earlier today, talking about improving the, the proxy voting system, there are huge problems with the status quo system. Nobody really likes to talk about them, but they're, that there is a tremendous amount of counterparty risk and, of course, cost um, in, in the delays that it takes to settle transactions. And most folks don't even understand that. Um, I think even the way that we own securities, most folks, if we ask your listeners, how many of you own securities? Pretty much everybody <laughs> would have their hands up right now. And the honest truth is, unless you actually own the paper stock certificate, you really don't own your securities. What you own instead is something legally classified as a security entitlement. It's an IOU from your broker-dealer. And your broker-dealer owns an IOU from their custodian who owns an IOU from their custodian, which is the legal owner of the securities. That's where the title of 99.9% .9 of the securities rests in U.S. markets. I bet you, you know, only 1% of your listeners probably understood that. And, and that's the way securities ownership works. It's a vestige of history, and it doesn't need to be that way anymore. The technology issues that caused us to put these intermediaries in place that allowed the netting of securities transactions, so you didn't physically have to move the paper stock certificates around so much, that that uh, that was all put in place about 40 years ago, but long since the technology issue, issues that required that as the solution went away. And why haven't we gotten rid of that? It's because there are players in the ecosystem who benefit from keeping that old slow system in place. We don't have too much time left, so I want to ask you uh, to talk about what you're doing in Wyoming. Uh, first of all, we, why why does uh, the legislation passed in a small state? matter in this global blockchain phenomenon? And, and what are some highlights of the legislation that uh, you've been able to help get through? Yeah, sure. Thank you. It actually relates to the answer that I just gave to your prior question. And that is there are not incumbents with a vested interest in keeping the existing system in place in the state of Wyoming, like we discovered that there are in places like Delaware, for example, where you've got a lot of these, of these infrastructure players who don't have an interest in seeing 
the system change. And Wyoming is a, a, a state that historically has had a, a, a great ethos that relates to the blockchain industry ethos, individual responsibility, low taxes. Um, and it's also the place where the limited liability company corporate form, and I guess corporate would be the wrong word, but company form was invented in 1977. Um, most LLCs are, are, of course, formed in Delaware. But in fact, actually, Wyoming is the place that invented them. And Wyoming is the number three state for new business registrations. So we have a great foundation upon which to build. And what Wyoming's doing, it's my native state, what we're doing is literally building a regulatory infrastructure to welcome and enable the industry. And it's, uh, it's much more industry-friendly than, say, the New York regulations, which have been very restrictive. Wyoming is taking a very enabling approach to the regulations. And we're seeing a lot of businesses start to form there, and, and, in, and some of them even starting to move there, solving a lot of the problems that, that have plagued the industry. Most recently, um, we have a bill that's moving in, in the legislative session that will form a blockchain-friendly bank. Uh, this is deemed one of the high-risk industries by the FDIC, and that means most banks don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And even the Industry Trade Association, which was not even touching cryptocurrencies, lost its bank account because the compliance officer said, oh, we don't want to do anything in the, in the cryptocurrency industry. So that has caused a real um, you know, clamp down on innovation. And it's unfortunate for the United States, but that's the reality that the banking system just doesn't want to bank these companies, even if they're not touching cryptocurrencies directly. So we're trying so, to solve that problem in Wyoming. Yeah. So what exactly does a blockchain bank mean? Uh, well, it's just a bank that's going to have a specialty in banking this industry. It means it's going to have a lot of compliance officers who will specialize in banking this industry. It's a legal industry. It's just deemed a high-risk industry. So your average bank on, your, on, the, on the corner of your town street isn't necessarily going to want to touch that because if they have a footfall from a compliance perspective, they actually might lose their bank charter and they can't afford to do that. So we've seen this in a lot of other industries. The, the blockchain industry is not the only one. But it, when, when the trade association couldn't even get a bank account, that tells you how extreme it, the, the, the banks have gotten on this issue. And we're going to have to wrap up in, in just a minute, but um, how do you see things evolving then? I mean, there's, there's you know, one model where you've got I mean, globally small um, jurisdictions, uh, you know, Cayman Islands, Gibraltar, Malta, and so forth, which, which historically – try to create welcoming environments that, that often are for, you know, some industries like the, the gambling industry that are that are legal but not available everywhere and bring capital in there. And then there's a, a model where you have jurisdictions that go out in front and then uh, other larger jurisdictions then say, well, no, this, this makes sense and, and we need to move our regulation in the same direction. Um, obviously, as you said, you're, you're from Wyoming and really trying to you know, promote capital formation and economic development there. But you know, do you see uh, you know, Wyoming really taking off? Uh, and, and if so, do you think that other states and the U.S. government will, will follow with these similar kinds of laws? Yeah, I do see it taking off uh, in part because a lot of folks would prefer to be in the United States legal system. And so what we're doing is creating a legal foundation that clarifies. It, it's amazing, Kevin, yet you, thinking back to our law school days. <laughs> Um, nobody actually really knows how crypto assets are going to be treated in bankruptcy. 
and the whole concept of what if a judge applies a, an automatic stay in bankruptcy? How, does it, how is a crypto asset handled in that situation? Those are pretty basic fundamental questions for um, getting security tokens clarified under the law, getting stable coins clarified under the law. These are sorts of these are the sort of things that are sort of hybrid instruments that that settle on crypto rails, but but are going to be accepted and invested in by your pension fund manager and your mutual fund manager someday. Well, we've got to get the legal foundations right first, and they're not there yet. And one of the biggest reasons is we don't know what the treatment of those assets is in bankruptcy. And so watch out because stay tuned. Wyoming's Wyoming's going to be doing a lot of things that will advance this ball. And just by nature of being first, that's, we think, going to attract a lot of folks. I will say, you know, anything can happen in a legislative session, but uh, if if we pull off what we've pulled off, not all of which, or what we plan to pull off, not all of which is public yet, I think a lot of your listeners are going to be saying, wow, about the state of Wyoming. It, it truly is is going to be the first to enable this industry from a legal perspective so that we can build the the, the next generation of businesses on top of it. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Caitlin Long, thank you so much for joining me on the show. My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks so much. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.